0: Tonight, I'm looking back, starting with 1920, when the world was still reverberating from the impact of the 1917 Russian Revolution. The Bolshevik victory was a key step to stopping the First World War. As Russia withdrew its troops, weakening first the British and then the German war effort, insurrection spread across Europe. Within three years, an international organization of communists, the Comintern, led by Bolshevik politics was established. Now, the level of gender and racial oppression wound up with exploitation in any society is a measure of the attainment of human freedom. Revolutionary Russia went further than any country since. Russian Soviets or workers' councils threw out racist and sexist laws and began programs to change material conditions, like the socialization of key housework tasks like free childcare, laundry, communal kitchens and restaurants, etc. Anti-abortion laws were repealed. Homosexuality was no longer a crime. And racism was challenged as Jewish communists, like Trotsky, took the lead and spread solidarity among Muslim neighbors and other colonized people. Inspired by the revolution, 26 people met in Sydney on the 30th of October 1920 to establish the Communist Party of Australia, the CPA. They came from the many smaller socialist groups that would merge. Basically, they are representing two main tendencies. First, the unionists associated with the Industrial Workers of the World, or IWW, and the One Big Union Project. And second, members of socialist groups who are hostile to the reformism of the Labor Party. The Australian Labor Party, based on the trade union bureaucracy, had mass support amongst the working class. While it had succeeded in winning enough seats in Parliament to form government earlier than similar parties in Europe, Its leaders had repeatedly betrayed working class people, especially during the war. They failed to defend living standards and unsuccessfully pushed for conscription, despite enormous opposition in the union movement. The new communist party agreed on the model of Lenin and the Russian Bolshevik party. Revolutionary socialists organized necessarily separately from the reformist parties like the Labor Party. They argued that socialists had to organize within the unions and the class struggle and that socialism was only possible through a mass revolution against Parliament and the state, rather than trying to use the state in workers' interests. The CPA became the largest socialist organisation Australia has seen. By the end of the Second World War, its membership reached around 20,000, and nearly 50% of the delegates of the ACTU Congress were communists, with CP officials in control of about 40% of the unions and a strong base among militant workers. So this talk will discuss the CPA's contribution to working-class struggle and then its break with revolutionary politics. I discuss three things, the best period of the party's work in its early years, especially the 1930s, then how its Stalinist politics began to damage and distort the party's work from the late 1930s, and finally, how it played a significant role in the union movement despite this, through until the end of the 1970s and 80s. Okay, obviously a lot is left out, but this forum will will allow plenty of time for discussion for you to contribute to filling in the gaps. In the 1930s, as unemployment rose to 30%, CPA members organized militant struggles among the unemployed and in the trade unions. When the arbitration court, the equivalent of the Fair Work Commission today, imposed a 10% wage cut in 1931, the ACTU did almost nothing to fight it. With a federal Labor government presiding over these savage cuts and little opposition from union leaders, the party's denunciations of the Labor Party struck a chord. CPA members formed a militant minority movement within the unions to organise resistance. The party grew significantly to 3,000 members by 1934 with its first dramatic political successes among the unemployed. They won increased unemployment payments through staging dole strikes on Work for the Dole projects such as the Melbourne Shrine. A strike over wages at Como was led by a rank and file committee of 40 women and men. Wives wrote articles and led militant actions as well as organising social functions, collecting money and food. Similar militant defiance was applied to fighting fascists and to stopping evictions. The famous David and Goliath battle between 40 police and 18 communists at 143 Union Street, Newtown in Sydney resulted in injuries caused by bullets and batons on one side against stones, iron bars and chairs on the other. The CPA's emphasis on rank and file control of disputes and militant industrial action helped build key trade unions in mining, clerical, engineering, construction, maritime, manufacturing. They were all over Australia from the Wyangala Dam Builders in New South Wales to Mount Isa Mines and in every city. Casuals at University of Melbourne today will identify with the fight for big, big, big victories over seemingly small issues. In the 1930s, North Queensland cane cutters struck for decent soft soap to wash their hands after working. These were early steps in building a huge strike movement among migrant workers to have the rat-infested and diseased cane burnt before workers touched it. Other massive battles dominated the mining towns like Wonthagee and Lithgow and won reforms. So central to their success were the committees of shop stewards. They were called shop committees, combining union delegates from multiple unions across a workplace or industry in which built unity at the rank and file level, an important lever in negotiations and strikes. The party challenged white Australia, building solidarity with Aboriginal people's struggles and led anti imperialist struggles, for example, the crucial solidarity later with the Indonesian independence movement in 1945. Politics mattered. Rank-and-file leadership based on revolutionary ideas, linking members across the class, building solidarity and direct actions, always linking political and industrial action, which pushed aside official attempts at unnecessary compromise. However, in Stalinism, there was an enormous political weakness. Its support for Stalinism and the belief that Russia remained a socialist society without exploitation and oppression led the party to dismiss atrocities like show trials and labour camps and to defend Russia's every action. Stalin's rise as a dictator in the late 20s saw Russia undergo a counter-revolution, establishing a state capitalist society locked in imperialist competition with the West. The Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, USSR, the Soviet Union, became a new empire as Stalinism turned Marxist ideas and even language like the word Soviet into their opposite. The original revolutionary and socialist traditions of the Bolsheviks were abandoned. Stalin imposed his own control over the Communist parties worldwide, dictating local strategies according to the needs of Russian foreign policy. The CPA imposed its own authoritarian regime where dissidents were disciplined or expelled. Now, initially in the 1930s, Stalin imposed a wildly ultra left third period strategy. The Labor parties were attacked as fascist and the communists isolated themselves. Members were actually encouraged to turn up to meetings ready to fight the fascist dictatorship running this union. In the mid-30s, with the rise to power of genuine fascism in Germany, Stalin feared Russian invasion from Germany. So the Communist parties backflipped, arguing for the widest possible unity. But this extended to forming alliances, even with right-wing parties. And eventually, their movement against war and fascism became the Popular Front and was used to shore up alliances with anti-fascist governments. But this meant the defence of the nation against certain fascist powers like Germany, Italy and later Japan. The result in Australia was to undermine independent working class politics and drag the Communist Party to the right in order to cement alliances with Labour Party politicians, progressive intellectuals and ministers of religion. From this point, left nationalism became a key element of the CP's politics. Reformist politics went hand in glove with a conscious depoliticisation and fragmentation of the minority movement, undermining its political cohesion. Stalinism was a gross distortion of Marxism. It involved not just overturning democratic structures, but left communist cadres defending capitalist regimes. After Russia joined the Allies in the Second World War, the CPA became the most enthusiastic supporter of the Australian war effort. Its members worked to smother class struggle and discipline workers to accept sacrifice. For example, they tried to prevent a huge strike wave of thousands of women workers over equal pay, undermining a struggle which took another 25 years to put back on the agenda. The CPA had been a leader for women's liberation and for equal pay struggles in the 20s and 30s. In 1923, CPA member Nell Rickey, she was a member of Actors' Equity, got a motion passed at the Victorian Trades Hall Council to fight for equal pay. It was later reversed by other leaders in the labour movement. But they led militant women workers committees in the 20s and 30s. However, with the Popular Front, reformist conservatism had undermined women's rights inside and out of the party until the 1970s when the CPA embraced feminism. But after the Second World War, the party suffered key losses and splits and declined to 5,000 members by the 70s. It would wind up in 1991. The credibility of Russia as any kind of socialist alternative unraveled over time. In 1956, the Soviet Union President Khrushchev dropped a bombshell denouncing many of Stalin's actions. And the same year, revolutionary councils, workers' councils in Hungary were put down with Russian troops. Ardent supporters of Stalin left the party to found the China-aligned Maoists in 1963, and later supporters of the USSR set up the Socialist Party, that was in 1971. But the majority tried to de-Stalinise the party. In August 1968, the party publicly opposed the USSR decision to send troops to crush the Prague Spring Revolt in Eastern Europe. However, in rejecting Stalinism without an understanding of the anti-working class regime of the USSR and Russia, the CPA simply embraced the same kind of parliamentary reformist strategy as the Labour Party. It had drifted a long way from the revolutionary Marxist politics of Lenin and the Bolsheviks. Despite the decline and the defeat of the 1949 coal miners' strike, the party retained a layer of officials and a base of thousands of key union militants and delegates. The CPA was central to most important union campaigns especially the battle to win back the right to strike. In May 1969, when a union official refused to pay fines under the penal powers and and was jailed, nearly one million workers walked out on strike, making the laws a dead letter. The party-led unionists in the movement against the Vietnam War, including the huge stop work to stop the war rallies in May 1970. They backed the 70s social movements for sexual liberation and against apartheid. CP officials like Jack Mundy were behind the green bands in Sydney and beyond, although the party was attacked as being too moderate by the migrant car workers in Melbourne. They helped support the Gurindji strike in Wave Hill, which became a defining struggle in the the fight for land rights, organising speaking tours and collections across workplaces nationwide. The shop committees were the backbone of a wages campaign, which by 1974 saw the highest strike figures ever. Over 6 million strike days were lost. Strike action matters because between 1965 and 75, we saw a real redistribution of wealth to workers when company profits as a share of GDP fell from the historic level of 15% to 11%. But communist union officials increasingly relied on bureaucratic control. The CPA regarded the labour movement officials who sold out struggles simply as morally bad individuals who could be replaced. They did not understand the way that taking a role in the union bureaucracy exerts a conservatising influence on all union leaders. Thus, CPA officials became key collaborators on the Labour Party's accord with the unions in the 1980s which severely weakened trade union power and organisation and led to collapse in union membership that lingers today. Their left nationalist agenda undermined not only wages but also workers' capacity to fight the very Australian bosses whose industries the Accord strategy aimed to build up. So, since the 1920s, the CP role meant The working class had experienced important victories, but the end result of the party's drift to the right and embrace embrace of reformism delivered an historic defeat for the movement and the experience added up to betrayal. 100 years ago tomorrow, socialists in Australia began their own project that started with the October Revolution. It was a clear break with other socialist ideas of reforming society showing that capitalism needed to be overthrown and could be overthrown. The key lesson from what the CPA was able to achieve is about the importance of socialist organisation and the difference that having a mass socialist party with real influence in the unions and the working class can make to the struggle. So today we need to build a new revolutionary party based on genuine Marxist politics that can help lead not just that revival of the workers' struggle we need, but a struggle to replace the capitalist system altogether.